A little rebellion now and then is a good thing. Thomas Jefferson. Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So we've been on vacation for a little while, uh, but we're back and there's a lot to talk about. The Writers Guild of America is on strike. We have a self-checkout problem in this country that's getting worse every day. Uh, There's been some big changes right here at home at Sikorsky Aircraft. We'll talk about all of that today, but first let's take a dive into our contract. So today we're going to talk about the wage progression. That's something that's going to go into effect uh, again at the end of this month, and it's something you want to verify in your check that you actually receive. We used to get a $0.10 raise periodically. Now that in the new contract, that's been increased to $0.25. Any employee who's $0.30 or less than the maximum rate will be brought up to the maximum rate. Uh, Everybody else is going to get a $0.25 increase, and that goes into effect, like I said, the last pay period of May. Um, But for future reference, that will occur in January, May, and September, always in the last pay period. So keep an eye out for that. Make sure you verify it. Yep. So just to differentiate from what used to happen, right, every individual employee had a different timeline. Right. Um, Now everyone is on the same schedule. Everyone gets their progression raises at the same time. Yep. All right. So let's talk about what we came here to talk about, the the big issue, and we'll talk about some of the other stuff afterwards. Uh, but the big issue we want to talk about today is the WGA strike. That's the Writers Guild of America. They're on strike. Anyone who likes to watch television like myself has already seen the effects of it. If you're a late night talk show fan, um, they're off the air. They went off the air almost immediately. Um, th- this is This is a big deal in the world of organized labor. So um, let, let's get into this. When did this start? Yeah, so it's about 11,000 striking workers that have been out since May 1st. Uh, May 1st, they called the strike. The next day, everybody was out. And there's a lot going on here, um, a lot of concerns about pay, the way that it hasn't kept up with increased spending in the industry, yeah. and everything to as far as artificial intelligence taking over, you know, responsibilities of the writers. That's an interesting one, too. I want to say, before we even get into the issues, 97.85% of members voted to go on strike. Yeah. And keep in mind, they're not striking one company. They're actually striking against what's called the uh, Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. So it's it's a coalition of major Hollywood studios. Right. It, it includes studios like Amazon, Netflix. MGM, Apple, Lionsgate, NBC Universal, Netflix, Disney, Paramount, Disney, right? Plus. Disney Sony, um, Warner Brothers. So a, a lot of studios are involved with this. And there's a lot of core issues that are coming into play. Um, like I said, compensation, uh, minimum staffing on different jobs, the duration of employment. So employment used to be, for a regular streaming show, I think around 45 episodes. Yep. Or, or no, 40 weeks of work. It's now been cut down to 20 weeks of work. So Yeah, I mean, imagine that. If, if you were told tomorrow, hey, um, instead of 52 weeks a year, you're going to be offered 26 weeks a year. Another huge change was uh, in the way residuals are paid, or basically how writers are paid for past work that's still earning money. Yep. Um, 
like for reruns and things like that, right? Yep. Stuff that yep. goes into um, uh, syndication. I read one article that uh, um, one, one of the writers actually posted a, a photograph of her last three residual checks. One was for one penny, one was for two cents, and another one for one penny. Yep. So she got three checks for a total of four cents. Yeah, according to the the Writers Guild's report, the weekly sorry the weekly median pay for writers has declined substantially over the last decade, and fifty percent of writers now work at the minimum pay levels established in their contracts. Yeah, uh, um, clearly it's an issue, right? Pay is an issue, as it is in most strikes. Mo- most strikes, you know, pay is at least one of the issues that they're striking over. I think a big part of of why they're not being paid what they should be paid is is that the streaming services in the last collective bargaining agreement were not included in the agreement. So the agreement only covered the network studios, right? So NBC, ABC, CBS. So the the streaming studios could essentially pay whatever they want. They didn't have to pay union rates. Yeah, and, you know, like I said, the time spent uh, being employed on a particular job based on a streaming show now has been drastically cut in half. Yeah. Um, so that's a valid concern when you think about just the progress in AI in the past six months. Uh, the implications, you know, maybe get a writer in there, write a quick show, and then you're using AI to make the edits throughout, and you've now cut your employment numbers in half. Absolutely. Probably more. And and so so let's talk about AI because that is a big I mean, it's an issue nationally that everyone's talking about now over the last month or so. Uh, it, it seems to have become the hot issue in the country. Uh, you know, the government's talking about it. Everybody's talking about AI and how dangerous it can be. Uh, but in this case, it, you know, it's like robots in our industry, right? They're eliminating jobs. Right. Um, and so the, the guild wants AI to be controlled, within the industry. Yeah, I think they just want to have a lot of say over how it's implemented and make sure that their writers are still given credit for their work um, yeah, and still but, and, involved. And, and, right, and still and still do the work. So I guess uh, two of the asks with respect to AI are um, that AI not be used to write content, right, to, to specifically write scripts, um, and that writer's work not be used as a, I don't know what else to call it, like a mapping tool for AI. So so their work can't be used to teach AI how to how to write a script. And you could already go to like chat GPT, tell yep. it, I want you to create artwork for me in the style of and list three different artists and five attributes you want it to follow. And it'll do it Yep, to a T. Yeah. Um, so as time goes on and, you know, machine learning is exponential, it's going to be crazy to see where it leads. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we could get into a big conversation, right, about art and how that'll that'll drive the price of art, the value of art right down to the basement. Right? Yeah. Nobody's or who gonna... knows, maybe authentic art will truly be worth something at that right. point. Yeah. But how do you tell the difference? So interestingly, I was listening to a podcast on the way here about the writer's strike. And one of the things they said is that you can't copyright AI-generated content, um, so like text. Yep. So they're saying that they don't believe that these companies are going to want to use a ton of AI-generated stuff for that 
you know, inability to copyright. Because they that's, don't own it. That's how they protect all their, you know, yeah, revenue. Yeah, that's a really good point. So that might work, you know, to the to the favor of the, the union. Yeah, there's just too many, you know, implications that uh, I think are still left at play. Yeah. So what else are we, um, what, what else are they, they talking about? So one big thing that has come out has been a focus on CEO pay, which has been astronomical. Yeah. Um, the revenues that these companies are making. And the CEOs and the companies are picking apart the numbers given out by the Writers Guild. Um, but the Writers Guild put out a chart talking about the annual cost of what they're asking for, all the concessions they want the companies to make, and uh, compared it to their revenues. And they looked at what percentage of revenues that was. For Disney, they made 75, or I'm sorry, it was going to cost them 75 million. Their revenue last year was 82.7 billion. Wow. So the cost share of the revenue would be less than 1%. Wow. The worst offender, and it lists Disney, Netflix, Warner Brothers, Paramount, NBC Universal, Amazon, Sony, and Apple. Uh, the worst shape would have been Netflix. They ended up with a cost of $68 million. Their annual revenue was $31.6 billion. That still put them at 0.2% of annual revenue. Holy moly. So, you know, these seem like huge numbers. You know, we're, wow, you're asking for $75 million worth of, right. you know, givebacks from us. But you got to remember these studios, they're being fueled billions of dollars in revenue, and they're generating this revenue off the work of a few thousand Writers Guild members in their yep. work. Yep. And, you know, the, the actors are supporting them uh, um, wholeheartedly. There's There's a list of actors that if you go on the Internet, you can read – the list of actors who are either picketing alongside the writers or, you know, making public statements of support for the Writers Guild because they know, right? They know that, that their work is entirely dependent on the writers' work. Um, some of them are, in fact, members of the Guild, right, um, because they're writers and actors. So um, there's a lot of solidarity going on. Um, but, but you're right. The, the, the money seems huge. Um, and it seems like they're really far apart. So the, the WGA, the union, um, is estimating when they cost out their, their proposals, um, they're costing it out at, um, 343 million, I think it was. I have 429 million. Yeah. So that's the overall cost to the whole industry. Yep. Um, and then the, the studio's counter, um, was worth 86 million. So they're, they're really far, way far apart. off. Yeah. And people are expecting this is going to go well into the fall and, you know, yeah. this is going to last for quite some time. Yep. Um, the, the studios don't seem like they're poised to move at all on the AI stuff. They want to wait and see, you know, yep. how this technology evolves. Yeah, they flat out rejected those proposals with no counter proposals at all. Um, you, you know, if you look back at the history, uh, there have been other strikes. And, and the one I remember because... It really changed the face of television. Um, it, was, it was a little more than 20 years ago, right? Uh, there was a writer strike. And maybe folks listening don't know this, but reality TV was a product of a writer strike. Yeah, and they're so, saying that's going to be the only thing on in the fall. Exactly. Uh, comedy is one of the first to go because yep. there's so many writing edits that happen throughout. Yep. You know, because there's not just the writing that goes into the initial script. There's writing all throughout the process. Yeah. And that's where a lot of these shows end up, you know, getting shut down as time goes on. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I saw some pictures of picketers and some of the signs. Um, there's a bunch of signs that, that speak to exactly what you're talking about. One said something like, um, you know, writing doesn't stop when filming starts. So, yep. you know, the writing process happens throughout until filming is done. Right. So there's a lot of implications to not just for the cost to the studios, but the cost to the overall economies in the areas where these films are taking place. Yep. Um, and Teamsters are kind of helping fuel that a little bit in favor of these unions uh, in solidarity. Yeah. Um, but you were talking about you look back to some of the other strikes. 2007, 2008, there was a writer's strike. It cost Estimates say it cost the California economy $2.1 billion over the course of 100 days. Mm. They projected losses including $282.3 million for the information, leisure, and hospitality sectors and $366.7 million for the professional and business sectors. Um, so it's a lot of money. Yeah, and that was a long time ago, and I think, you know, you, you, can, you can multiply those numbers today. Yeah. You know, like any large-scale strike, it's going to hurt the economy. You know, people aren't going to be coming in to work and to spend their money while they're at work. Yeah, so if you look around, you know, L.A., New York right now, you're going to see strike lines out there from 5 in the morning to 5 p.m. at night. Yep. Um, and the reason for that is as long as there's a strike line, Teamsters aren't going to cross. Right, and and so let's talk about that, right? That, let's talk about the reactions of some of the other unions because the Teamsters top that list. Yeah, so it's easy to say, hey, we support you. It's another thing to put your money where your mouth is. And yep. I think under Sean O'Brien, we're seeing – you know, a plan in place for us to do that. And yep. this is one of the ways we do that. We don't cross strikes, you know, or yep. uh, picket lines. Yep. And, you know, we respect strikes. And as a result, we help further their cause. Yep. So, yeah, the um, the, the Teamsters, local 399 is really the, the big local out there. Um, and they instructed their members, don't cross picket lines. Yep. You got to remember We're, Secretary Treasurer, that is uh, Lindsay Doherty. Mm -hmm. She's a vice president for the International. Yep like rock yeah um so the way that the teamsters are able to impact these uh strike lines is that they're able to do their business because of all the things the teamsters deliver and the ways the teamsters keep these productions moving and you know running yep uh when we're not willing to deliver they literally can't keep filming yeah they can't do what they do without the trucks bringing the equipment in. they don't have anything they need right um, and and we have I don't I haven't been able to find anything online about the Teamsters film division right they we we have a Hollywood division essentially um, of folks who are working on sets. Yep. Well, that's three ninety nine. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And you know one of the ways they track the I guess activity over there is they look at permits for. TV productions. Yep. In the first week of the strike, they had about 168 permits in LA um, for TV, including unscripted uh, shows. And that was versus 347 the year prior. So that's a 51.5% drop in permit requests. That nice. was just the first week of the strike. Yep. A few weeks later, it was up to 69.5%. So that's a huge decline in you know economic activity in the area. Right. So all these studios that think that okay, the writers are on strike, we can still film. If we have complete scripts, we can still start to film. They probably can't, especially if the Teamsters are involved. And they all rushed to get content filmed and wrapped up prior, knowing that this was coming. Yep. Because um, they're banking on, you know, you, the consumer, not feeling the effect for quite some time. Yeah. 
So keep in mind, right, this doesn't just affect television. I know that television is big right now, right? Um, you know, the movie industry has kind of morphed with television, right, because of streaming. But, um, you know, this affects stage, film, television, everything. Um, and some of those unions as well have shown their support. The International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, um, their president, a, a guy by the name of Matthew Loeb, um, made it clear to his members that um, they have the right to honor picket lines um, and should do that, right? So he's telling his folks that they should not cross picket lines. Yeah, for what it's worth, all the major sports organizations just came out. The Major League Baseball Players Association, same thing for NFL, NBA, uh, Women's National Basketball, uh, National Hockey League Players Association, soccer, and Women's National Soccer. They're just a few that came out and put out a statement in support. And there's been, I guess, over 90 different guilds, unions, organizations, uh, tons of political figures. So there's a ton of support for the writers. People believe, you know, th it's easy to, to look at these big companies and not really have much sympathy when they're making right. all these billions. Sure. And listen, writers are, are not paid as well as people might think, right? People might think, oh, you're a Hollywood writer. You must get paid a ton of money. That's not necessarily the case, right? They're average Joes, just like just like us. Um, there is one union that's not so much doing a great job supporting, right? Um, the Directors Guild. So it's a, a very sticky, sticky topic. I think it's fair to say they are supporting them. Okay. Um, they put out a statement saying they stand by them. They, you know, want them to get the wages they deserve. Um, you know, you got to remember they work side by side, and a lot of them are dual members. You have members that are. Right members of the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild. The issue at play is a debate over what's called uh, a, to a through H services. So there's overlap between some of the services provided by the Directors Guild and the Writers Guild yeah. um, in terms of tweaks that are made to writing throughout the process. And obviously the Writers Guild does not want Directors Guild people performing that while they're on strike. Right. Um, but the Directors Guild has the responsibility to advise their members on their contracts and if they're required to perform those tasks you know they have to advise them to do it or they could be terminated yep um, so it's a very very sticky subject there was debate over this going back to a supreme court case in 1978 um, they actually ruled in favor of the director's guild saying it was the, you know not exclusive to the writer's guild yep um, writer's guild is still holding a hard line saying you know we don't want you to do that work uh, there was a later case with the electrical union, uh, IBEW. The Writers Guild believes that that case should upend the older Supreme Court case, but nobody's actually taken this to court to you know, argue it again. Right. Um, so it's kind of out in the open there. The president of the Directors Guild, uh, Leslie Gladder, she did come out publicly and, and tell her members, listen, um, just letting you know that if you don't perform your Directors Guild covered services, you could be fired from your current position, right? And as we know how all big companies do it, they play dirty when a strike happens or when there's a contract dispute. So um, I would think that the, the studios would have no no delay, right, in firing Directors Guild members who are refusing to do work. So they actually sent them, you know, lawyer letters threatening, uh, do your job or you will be, you know. There you go. But the many people are questioning whether or not they'd actually take them to court and sue them. 
Yeah. Um, it's a whole different ball game to actually go ahead and do it. You know, yeah. the threat is easy to make, but going through all that is harder. But it, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody called their bluff. But the statement from the Directors Guild said that they support the WGA's efforts to get a fair deal from studios. At the same time, the DGA has a duty to clarify information about our members' rights and responsibilities in their contracts, including potential actions that could put them in breach of contracts. Hmm. Um, we've advised our members accordingly of their rights and responsibilities so they can make informed decisions regarding their employment. Although we differ from WGA in our position on the specific legal and contractual issues in this one area, we remain in support of the writer's ultimate objective, a fair deal with the AMPTP. Mm. So, you know, I don't think they're that far apart, these two unions. I think, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of overlap um, that's been there for many, many, many years. Yeah. So this has kind of gone international uh, as far as unions making public statements of support. Um, the Writers Guild of Great Britain the Writers Guild of Canada, the Australian Writers Guild, um, the Screen Writers Guild of Israel, the Writers Guild of Ireland, and Writers Guild of Sweden, along with a couple more, all made statements in support of the WGA. And some of them even went as far as to, I won't say instruct their members, but maybe encourage their members not to work on American projects while this strike is going on. So, um, of course, they're going to, you know, the American studios are going to be looking for scabs. They're going to be contacting members of these unions, of these foreign unions, and asking them, hey, why don't you, you know, hop on a plane, come on over and work on this project. And, um, you know, most of these unions are at least privately encouraging their members not to do that. And what's cool about it is, you know, you got to remember – only the writers are on strike. Um, but what we're seeing is that ripple effect across industries where, yep. you know, like local 399, they're, they're not just truck drivers that support. They're casting directors, location yep. managers, prop warehouse workers, um, even animal trainers. Yeah. Um, so That's pretty cool. Yeah. They're, they're very diverse. Um, and a little quote from Lindsay Doherty. She said, I think it's important that we continue to say we have to be together because the studios are together. They may not agree, but at the end of the day, they have one message. These companies are not going to do us any favors. The studios would rather lose billions of dollars to starve out an industry than make money because they're teaching us a lesson. Yeah, and it's true, right? This is no different than any other union being on strike against a big conglomerate or a, or a, a huge corporation, Right. It, it just it works the same everywhere and in every industry. It's just not different. Um, this is not about money. It's about power. It's about control. So, yeah, you hear you, you know, you hear some anecdotes about stuff that is that has happened since the strike. Um, one that comes to mind because, you know, like every old guy out there, I'm a Jeopardy fan, right? I sit down and I watch Jeopardy every night after dinner. And um, I guess Mayim Bialik, who is one of the hosts of Jeopardy, she walked off the set, you know, when the strike happened. She refused to work as a as an actor. She, um, you know, she's very close with writers and she felt like she needed to support them. So she walked off the Jeopardy set. Don't know how that's going to turn out, right? Um, but she walked off the set and refuses to work until until they come back. One of her, if you're a Big Bang Theory fan, one of her former co-workers, uh, Will Wheaton, actually came out publicly and hammered 
uh, Ken Jennings, who is the other host of Jeopardy, and stepped in when Mayim Bialik walked off the set. Um, uh, Will Wheaton hammered him, um, got pretty nasty in, in some public comments about, uh, about Ken Jennings, you know, not supporting workers and all that stuff. So, um, you know, there's some emotion out there and there's a lot of support out there from industries that are close to the writers. Yeah, I think you have, you know, varying degrees of people trying to decide what's the right move and, you yeah. know, what to do. And luckily we have people like her who really, I think in the wake of trying to figure out what is my role, is there overlap between the two unions? Some of people are just like, you know what, I'm pro-union. I don't care. I'm out of here. Yep. And that's good to see. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we usually talk when we talk about big strikes that are happening across the country that affect us. You know, we try to find a way to support these workers I don't know how to do that, right? Um, first of all, most of this stuff is happening out in California. Um, there is some activity in New York City for sure. But, um, you know, how do you support a strike like this? I don't really know. As a consumer, I don't know how you support it. Yeah, I mean, subscriptions matter to these streaming companies. Sure. Um, but it's obviously not reasonable that you're going to go cancel your Disney Plus, your Netflix, and your HBO, and, right. you know, everything else. Right. Um I think trying to pick which ones you use, that's tough too. Yeah. Um, a lot of this, I think, is just inevitable. You know, the rise of AI, the uh, the rise of streaming, and I think just trying to support industries in the little ways you can, not crossing a picket line, you know, yep. showing your support where you can, that's what makes a difference. Yeah, well, absolutely. As, um, you know, if you're out there listening, you're one of our members, you're, you're a Teamster, don't cross a picket line. And, and when we say don't cross a picket line, that means don't cross a picket line, period. Um, as a customer of, you know, a business, um, as a worker, whatever, don't cross a picket line ever, right? So, you know, if you're going to the theater in New York City next weekend and there's a picket line in front of that theater, it, my advice is forego that $200 theater ticket and go have dinner and uh and, and don't cross the picket line. Don't go to that show. That That's what I would do. But I know that, that that's a painful decision for some people to make. Um, and maybe your significant other or whoever you're going to that show with is going to complain. But that's the decision I would make. Yeah, it's tough. It is tough. That's the reality. But it's how we support. Yep. Right? Yep. You know who you see get tangled up in that a lot is the uh, professional sports teams. When they're traveling, you'll see like a hotel that's on strike. Yep. And then, you know. Players have to decide, you're a union player, are you going to go cross that line? And some yeah. do, some don't. Yeah, I know. And um, it, th that's a hard, hard decision to make, but I'll go stay in a Motel 6. Yeah, or find a nicer hotel that's uh, right. available. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure they're available. So some of the other stuff we, we need to talk about is self-checkout. And I put this on the agenda today to talk about because it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I hate self-checkout. I make no bones about it. Um, I just recently, uh, I, I did a little project at home, and I was in and out of Lowe's every day for a week. And um, one day I, I walked into Lowe's and bought a handful of things and brought them up to the register, and there were only self-checkout registers available. And, you know, there was one woman who was, you know, kind of watching over the, the self-checkout registers, and I... I asked her if there were any cashiers available, and she kind of rolled her eyes, and she said, no, real sarcastically. And I thought she was giving me a hard time at first, but then she kind of went on to this, 
uh, she went into this diatribe about Walmart and and um, uh, you know it started with Walmart and they did it and now everybody's doing it and 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 you know I instantly fell in love with her and um, if I wasn't already married I would have probably asked her to marry her marry me by the end of the day but right there in that Lowe's right there in Lowe's um, yeah she was pretty awesome she talked about her her former career at Bradley's where they had a union and this would have never happened at my old job at Bradley's and you know we talked about about unions and 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 this whole problem right and self-checkout's a problem yeah it's better than my experience at bj's picking up drinks for our membership meeting yeah that, uh, that lady was not very happy that i asked her to check me out yeah well and you know i understand why a lot of these people are overworked they're understaffed and they don't see that you're helping them by asking them to check you out right and and quite frankly you know there are probably not enough of us that take that stand sure to actually help, yep. which is why we need to talk about it on a podcast like this, right? So the folks out there listening, don't use self-checkout, right? Don't use it at Lowe's. Don't use it at uh, Costco, right? Costco has self-checkout. That's a union company, right? right? They right. have self-checkout, but um, you still see most people going through a cashier lane. And if you insist on having a cashier, if everybody that walks through that store or through our cafeteria. Yeah, that's the one that burns me up the most. Yep. So those are union workers down there. And we're union workers. Yeah. Um, you know, you can only have so much of an impact out in a Lowe's. Uh, but in a union shop, we should be able to have more of an impact than we do right now. And what we've seen with the cafeteria workers, and some of them have gone on to become our members. Yes. Some of them are family members of our members. Um, but either way, they're workers and they're union workers just yep. like us. And what we've seen over the years, especially with COVID, is the options in the cafeteria have been decimated. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got stations that just never open anymore. You used to be able to get all these different sandwiches and stuff. Right. They, they've just shut down feature after feature in that place, right. trying to turn it into like a basic pick and serve, you know, like a gas station. Yeah. Um, all in favor of cutting down the number of people who work there. And yep. we used to have four lines running. Now we have two self-checkout scab lines and then a longer line on the side. And props to everybody who waits in that long line um, and doesn't go use the self-checkout. And and listen, do that, right? If you're listening to this podcast and you're a member of Local 1150, don't use self-checkout in the cafeteria. And and tell all your friends who aren't listening to our podcast to stop using the self-checkout. Render that thing useless. Yeah. You know, we have talked to some of the people down there. They're in the middle of their contract, so they're not ready to negotiate right now. But they're so annoyed with some of the progression of taking things away and overstressing their workers that they're trying to rip open talks now just to bring up forth some of the issues. So they really do need our support, you know, especially when you're down there and you're seeing people order a sandwich online and then just run through the self-checkout. Yep, and that's the thing. So I know that, you know, I... I work up in the Shelton plant and we have a cafeteria that used to be used to be staffed by two workers. Now it's staffed by one because we have a kiosk where you have to order. So you can't walk up to the counter in Shelton and order a sandwich. You have to go to a kiosk and order the sandwich, pay for it through the kiosk and then go pick it up at the window. Yep. So it, it, it has already eliminated one worker. Yeah, and you see people trying to, you know, you'll see a cashier trying to run to go make coffee and the line's filling up, but they're trying to make the coffee because what used to be two jobs is now one. Yeah. 
So it, it affects your service and you're paying top dollar when you go down there and you're getting that yep. as a result. Yeah. So listen, this is how we support fellow union workers, right? Or fellow workers, period. They don't have to be union workers. But to your point, Jason, these folks are union workers, yeah. right? So let's support them. Stand in line, go to a cashier, you know, give them a smile and tell them you support them and, and, and give them your money and, and get through the line, right? Yep. And, and again, render that self-checkout lane useless. Yeah. Make them rip it out. That's what I want to see. Yep. You know, uh, we might have to do another episode, maybe get some of our members on that came from working down there. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Hopefully that'll be coming up in the future. Yeah. So what else? Um, what else is going on? We um, we need to talk about uh, about the Sikorsky Medical. More poor service in Sikorsky. Yeah. So uh, we're just going to tear through every department. We that's don't what like. we're going to do. <laughs> we're, so we're, we started with the cafeteria. Shame on them. Right. We're, now, we're moving down the hall now. now next door. <laughs> right. To the the medical department. If if you've had the displeasure of doing anything through the medical department in the last say year. Um, you know that things have changed. Yeah. Um, right? I had a personal instance where I had to drop off some paperwork or somebody dropped off paperwork for me to pick up from medical. Um, the lady was rifling through her desk drawers, looking through loose papers, saying, oh, I know it's here somewhere. <laughs> so apparently that's how they maintain you know, medical documents now. With personal information. They on then it. asked me, can you come back in a few hours so we can look for it? And then at the end of the day, they said, uh, actually, uh, the person who dropped it off might have taken it back. So apparently people can just walk in and take packets and leave. Yeah. Um, and they did, in their defense, they found it a day later. Um, but that's not really how you should maintain HIPAA-protected medical information. Exactly. There, um, should, there should be some kind of system, you know, filing system, where they can find it and they know where it is. Yeah, you'd think so. And they can protect your information. They used to do it, I mean— I'm not going to say they excelled all the time, but right, yeah. the 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 negative changes at the Sikorsky Medical Department are are pretty glaring. Um, you know, we saw it during negotiations when they actually brought the director of medical in to talk about drug testing. Right? They wanted to the company wanted to institute some kind of drug testing policy, um, and and they brought the medical director in, and he was a clown. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to say it any other way. This guy is a medical doctor. And it was a joke. Yeah. He was so unprepared and not just unprepared, but um, not caring about people and their health like you would expect them to be. Yeah. And I think not caring about the objectivity of the system. Right. Being able to, you know, it was way too subjective what he was proposing. Yes, exactly. Not to get too deep into that. Yeah, but. right. No, we're not going to talk about the details of that, but but it's an example, right? And, um, you know, they're trying to bill people, right? Yeah. We, so I, I had a complaint from an employee last week who said they received a bill in the mail. Um, they were told at the time they would not be billed, and then they were sent a bill and, you know, threatened with collections, I think. Yeah. Uh, they since got to clear it up. But again, another hoop you have to jump through and a yep. headache you have to endure. You know, and the problem is that there are plenty of members out there who, if they get a bill in the mail, they're, you know, they're they're not going to put up a fight. They're just going to say, oh, well, I didn't know that I was going to get billed. And then they're going to pay the bill. Yeah. yeah. Right. So so yeah. that's why we need that kind of thing to stop. It's a well-oiled machine that if you don't know how to navigate, you're going to fall right down the tube they want you to. Exactly. 
Um, which, while we're on that topic, I think we should probably touch on work comp. Yeah, um, for sure. I think that's the most important thing to talk about with regard to the medical department. Yep. So if you're injured at work, you've got the right to be treated by a PPO-approved uh, doctor. Now, yep. that's just a list of approved people you can go to. Yep. The company sets up your first appointment, um, but you've got the right to demand to be seen by you know a, a relevant specialist of your choice. Yep you're probably going to be offered by the kind people in medical. We are here to help you, and we'd like to treat you. Why don't you let us take a look at it? Your, res- your response should be, no, thank you. I'd like to see a doctor on the list. Right. So, so let's be really clear about the process, right? Um, you get hurt at work. Um, I, I don't know. You cut yourself at work, right? You go to the medical department. You can be seen by them. They can bandage you, do whatever they do, right? And that's fine. Any subsequent treatment needs to be done by a physician from the PPO list. Be clear about this. Do not go back to the medical department and have them look at anything, treat anything, because if they do on a subsequent visit, they now become the treating physician. Yep. Now, one difference might be for like PT, right? People get treated for PT there, but that's under the supervision of your already established PPO doctor. Exactly. So that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you get injured, you go down there, they say, hey, you know, we want to treat you. Let's put a Band-Aid on it. Come back in a few days. I'm going to take the Band-Aid off and look at it. Well, the minute they pull that Band-Aid off and look at it again, there's your second date of treatment. And now that's your doctor. Yep. And changing your doctor under work comp is a lot harder than, you know, just... Almost impossible. Right. Almost impossible. So don't fall into that trap. And if you have questions, make sure that you call for a work comp safety, uh, work comp steward, or sorry, not steward anymore, coordinator. Yep. Um, Gary Gilmet's here if, you know, you need help and, you know, we can definitely put you in touch. Yeah. It's, it's just a really good idea that if you have to have any contact with the medical department, um, listen, I'm going to say it. They don't have our best interests in mind. They are, um, you know, things have changed. It is, they are an outside contractor. They're looking to save money. They're looking to spend as little money as possible. So that's where their interests lie. So just, you should be questioning everything they do if you have to have contact with them. Yeah, so speaking of saving money, I think our next item is going to be a popular one. The uh, company had been saving some money for a while with the way they were clocking our time. Yeah. Um, so for anybody that remembers, you always had 18 minutes uh, prior to your shift to clock in. Yep. And if you clocked in more than 18 minutes early, you would get paid. If you didn't, anything less than 18 minutes, they would slide up your time to your scheduled start time and you wouldn't get paid for it. Right. Same thing when you were staying after your shift. Um, if you stayed after the shift beyond a certain threshold, you would get paid. Yep. Before that threshold, you would not get paid. Yeah, I think it was 10 minutes on the back end. Yeah, 10 minutes is... So so the problem with this is that it turns out this is a violation of labor law. And the reason it's a violation of labor law is that the labor law says that the company can round your time like this, right? Slide time, whatever you want to call it. They call it rounding. Um, They can round your punches, but they have to do it consistently on both sides of every punch. In other words, if they're going to round your in-punch up 18 minutes, if you're early, right, then they also have to round it backwards 18 minutes if you're late. Right. Right? So they have to do it consistently on every punch. So it they would have had to change it to 
18 minutes in early, 18 minutes in late, and then the same thing on your out punch, right? Yeah. They have to be consistent in four different areas, right? In early, in late, out early, out late. I hope people understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. So that they were in violation of labor law because not only were they inconsistent on the two ends with 18 minutes and 10 minutes, right? But they they never rounded your punch backwards. So if you came in late, even one minute late, you didn't get paid for that one minute. Right. Right. You were docked for whatever you were late. And and that's what the law is saying for anybody that might still be a little fuzzy on this. If if you're going to round somebody up, then you have to be able to pay them if they're late as well. Exactly. So if you're going to cheat them out of the 18 minutes that they're coming in early, yep. you've also got to pay them if they're 18 minutes late. Right. So now the, the company has instituted a new policy because we brought to their attention that they were in violation of labor law. They now instituted a new policy, you know, a week or two ago. Yeah. And um, they, and that says it's a six minute window now on on both sides of every punch. Yeah. They probably didn't want to spend 18 minutes if you're coming in late. Right. The consistent rule across the country is six minutes. Oh, OK. That's that's a pretty standard uh, time period. So that makes the, sense. Yeah. A tenth of an hour. It's yep, pretty exactly. standard. Exactly. Yeah. So now moving forward, you're going to have six minutes to clock in prior to your shift. If right. you go anything outside earlier than six minutes, seven minutes or more, you're going to get paid overtime. Right. Uh, the company, if you do that, if you're not authorized, they are not allowed to go in and delete your time. Right. So if they do that, you need to call for a steward. They are allowed, however, to discipline you for unauthorized overtime. Exactly. So don't be stealing time. You know, it eventually can yeah. catch up with you. Yep. Um, and the other thing we need to point out is the company had been walking around yesterday telling employees, hmm. if you come in late, you will not be penalized. Yeah. That is not an effective way to communicate. It is not. Um, so what you need to remember is we have a separate point system for our attendance. Right. You will be assessed points if you're less than six minutes late. Right. You just won't have your pay impacted. Your pay will be slid back yep. to your start time. So exactly. So this is only this only applies to your wages. It only applies to how you're paid. The attendance policy has not changed. Right. So please don't make this a, oh, for now on I can come in, you know, five right. minutes late every day and still get paid the same. Yeah. That's not. And, and we did have a bunch of questions um, about labor charging as well. Um, that that was just answered recently as well. The labor charging window is still 18 minutes. Okay. So at the end of the shift, you can still ring your labor um, 18 minutes before the end of the shift. That way, we're not going to have any fights at the clock because you know people are trying to. Hit trying labor. to hit their labor and and punch out all at the same time and because you know somebody was going to get punched in the mouth yeah. if that was the case hopefully it won't be too big of a, a bottleneck yeah i don't think it will be i, I don't think either. six minutes is fine i do too so that's that uh, if there's any questions on any of that stuff please uh go see your steward um but to reiterate some of the stuff make sure you're following those those rules about punching in and out make sure you're not using self-checkout in the cafeteria at work and make sure that you're really careful when you have to use the Sikorsky medical department. If you're not sure how to deal with the medical department, call a steward, call union hall, ask for advice, right? But just be very careful about how you deal with the medical department. It's just, it's not a good situation right now. And, and we're, we're advising our members to be careful. 
So that's about all we have today. Um, actually, we have some upcoming events, right? Yeah, we do. So we're going to have a Memorial Day barbecue down here. It's going to be hosted by the Futures Committee. It's on May 27th, which is a Saturday. It's going to start at noon and run to about 4 p.m. It should be a fun event. We've got some Teamsters coming from different areas uh, all over Connecticut and from Boston as well. Uh, there's going to be a cornhole tournament, $20 nice. entry per team. Is that going to be on ESPN? I think probably ESPN the Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to have food, burgers, hot dogs. There's going to be a 50-50 raffle, and I think there's going to be a poker tournament. Uh, nice. So there's a lot to do. Should be a good time, so make sure you come on down. There's no uh, entry fee to come in. It's only entry, you know, entry fees for cornhole. Yep. Um, the next thing we have coming up after that is going to be the Troy Picnic. Tickets are $15. When is that? That's going to be uh, June 3rd. Okay. The Pride Caucus is going to be putting on a movie night that's coming up on June 30th at 6 p.m. Right here at Union Hall? It's going to be right here at Union Hall. I think it goes to maybe 11 p.m. Okay. Uh, I went a little out of order there. Uh, the week prior or two weeks prior, we've got Holiday Hill in Connecticut. Uh, that's our big picnic. There's going to be tickets for sale at Union Hall starting now, I believe. Yeah. $20 for adults, $10 for kids. It's going to be on June 17th. And please remember, that's for your immediate family. Um, try to keep it to immediate family. We don't want to be throwing birthday parties and church right. events at the picnic. So. Right. Um, and just looking it up, the uh, tickets actually go on sale on May 30th. All right. So All right. pretty close. Yeah, they'll be on sale for a couple of weeks up right up to the event. And then last, we've got the TVC Golf Tournament. Um, that's going to be at Whitney Farms on Saturday, June 24th. That's in Monroe. It's 165 per golfer, $660 for a foursome. And if you don't play, you could just go for dinner, and that's $50 a ticket. They have tons of good raffles. It's a great cause to you know support the veterans. It's this always is, a really good time. That's the TVC's big event every year. So please make sure if, if you love veterans, come on down and uh, yep. support the cause. And if you don't play golf or you don't feel like playing golf, you know, contact the TVC um, or one of their members and and ask how you can volunteer for that event because there's always something to do there. Yeah, they could definitely always you know use the help. So yep. Uh, the last thing we should probably mention at our last membership meeting, we voted to suspend the meetings for the summer months. So we're going to be off now through September. That'll be our next meeting. Um, if the, anything pertinent comes up and there's a need for a meeting, the board will call a meeting. Yep. Um, so no need to worry there. You can make sure you follow us in the app on social media and obviously our podcast here. So yep. stick, stick around. Okay. That'll do it for another episode of the 10 to 12 podcast. As, as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Uh, thanks for following us. If you're not following the 10 to 12 podcast, shame on you. Go to Podbean right now and follow us. Remember to let us know what you think about the show. Let us know what you love. Let us know what you hate, but let us know something, right? Send us an email. Tell us what you love or hate about the podcast. Email us at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. And until next time, I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you again.